0: Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor and joining me as always is the Ringers, Jake. Kyle. Man, what's up man? How you doing today?
2: I'm doing very well. A little congested but we're going to battle through. Flu game, right?
0: Uh, How are you doing, (laughs) Kevin? Like like me on the mismatch last week. Um, (laughs) Feeling good now. Uh, Feeling great. Um, I'm excited for this coming weeks ahead. We get the semifinals off to a fun start. We got I mean, upsets, Sixers without Embiid beating the Celtics in game one. I mean, we got a game. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, We got another big game on Tuesday night that we're not going to be able to talk about with the Lakers and Warriors game one, Heat-Knicks game two. And they get the Nuggets up 2-0 right now on the Suns who look like a new team. Uh, It's a lot of fun right now. And then, Kyle, it's May. And the NBA Draft Lottery is two weeks from now on May 16th. Uh, it is right around the corner, man. Players training. They're at P3. Soon enough, they'll be heading off to Chicago to go through all the interviews and the pre-draft stuff, and then they're on their way to different cities and meeting with teams. It's the, we're, we're getting close, man. It's that time of year where everything's happening in the basketball world.
2: Yeah, I think this one is going to be, this draft lottery, I feel like is going to be on the level of like the 2003 one where we saw Jerry West's, you know, I I always like to commemorate that every single year, whenever the draft lottery comes around. When we saw uh, Jerry West's, the light leave his eyes, whenever he discovered he wasn't going to get LeBron. I feel like this draft lottery, the announcement of the top pick, well, the announcement of the number two pick is going to be. Just a huge moment for for a for a fan base for like the next few years, you know, for the next era of what what they're going to be doing. Because uh, we got we got a generational talent, multi generational talent on the line here with Victor Wimbanyama. It's it's going to be high pressure. Yeah, some mm-hmm. somebody's dreams are going to uh, ascend and be crushed on that night.
0: I got invited into the lottery room the year Zion Williamson went number one to the Pelicans, and that was a cool experience seeing all the reactions. Alvin Gentry in the room freaking out. Let's say you got invited, you know, the NBA, it sends you a text in the next couple of days, Kyle, and they say, Hey, we'd like to invite you to the private drawing in Chicago. Would you rather be in there where you're locked in? Let me tell you for like maybe 30 minutes until after it's announced live, would you rather be in there for that? Or would you rather be in there publicly with the card being pulled and you get to see the reaction live with everybody else? And and the rest of the universe, or would you rather be in that one room and be one of the first human beings to know?
2: Uh, I I mean, I'd really rather see the personnel, see the unseen. You know, we don't always get to see the 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 war rooms react. I mean, you know, you can we get to see the 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 draft panel, the the representatives react on TV. Um. Yeah, I'd say was there some mega freaking out? Like, was it? Was it? Were there tears whenever the Alvin well, Drexler
0: like stood up in the room and started cussing and clapping his hands and high fiving people <laughs> who didn't want to be high fives? <laughs> yeah, it was great. People didn't want to be high fives. <laughs> well, they lost. They didn't get signed. Oh, I thought you were
2: talking about peers. I, I didn't know you <laughs> oh, meant no, no. like opposing teams. Yeah, yeah it's that's... like it's
0: like one representative from every team. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, th- yes. But it was uh, it was very cool. It was a great experience. Um, But I think doing it once, I'd rather be out in the public and see just everything explode. I don't know. I mean, it's awesome being in there, though. I hope you get to do it, Kyle. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. uh, It's like a different group every year. Um, But uh, yeah, it's very cool. I got to see Elvin Gentry react long gone, you know, from the Pelicans at this point. We'll see if Victor Wembenyama's new team has better luck in a couple of weeks. But today, we're going to be talking about, as we teased last week, our biggest mistakes in our history of covering the draft lessons learned why we made some of these mistakes what went into that decision uh where do you want to start kyle do we want to start with somebody on my list somebody on your list is there anybody you want to ask me about that i have made mistakes <laughs> we were class? just
2: already kind of <laughs> smiling Kev, I mean, there's one that like you've leaned into it, which I've always appreciated. That like uh, I don't know, you take you've like extended the bit. But I mean, do you want to just start with the Killian thing? I mean, is that I think that's a good spot spot, or do you want to save it? You you, know, how do you want to do? I
0: mean, we'll 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 start with Killian. I mean, it was definitely my biggest mistake of all time. Um, Hopefully, it it is my biggest mistake of all time. I mean, you <laughs>
2: swung hard. Let's be fair. Like, you got to respect yeah. people swinging super hard on something. You weren't wishy-washy sure. about it. You, like, planted and and you you gave it every bit of power you had.
0: I think there's a there's two ways to look at what you just said, Kyle. Like, there's some people who say, I was just trying to be different. That's not the case. Dranking Killian Hayes over the ball and Anthony Edwards was not me trying to be different. I've never done that in my 10 years covering the drafts. I just try to do what I think is the best rankings, you know, based off my own evaluation. Whether that like in twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, whatever year it was, I had Julius Randle ranked outside the top ten. And people saying I was trying to be different doing that. No, I just didn't like his defense. I thought he was was aloof. I didn't think he cared. I just didn't he's not somebody I would have wanted to invest in as a player. So I had him outside the top ten. Killing it at number one. You know, I think that year the lesson learned, I would say, you know, it stems back really to 2017. With the, that was the faults Tatum year. And in and, and that year, you know, I had faults number one. I had Tatum number two. And a lot of people that year, you know, had Tatum, you know, outside the top five. Some had him four. He like, there's a range on Tatum, even though he ended up going number three. And in my gut that year, I'm like, everything I was hearing about faults, immature, you know, work ethics, if he, you know, he's not, he doesn't put in the effort that a lot of some of these other guys do. I'm not sure he's ready to be coming to the NBA. All the things I was hearing Intel wise, I'm like, man, my gut is telling me Tatum is the guy that mm-hmm. Tatum's number one. Like I really love Tatum that year, but I was, I was fearful that year. Of doing something so different from the consensus. Everybody had faults number one, except maybe the Celtics and Danny Ainge. And, and I, I think that year I was afraid of doing something different. And in that sense, I botched that. I think that eliminated the fear for me that year in 2017 of doing something different. Um, and going out on a limb. Of course, that's what could lead to mistakes because in 2020, I go with Killian Hayes number 1 in my opinion just to give some background. I think in the NBA, he has panned out to be a good defender. He is a good defender for the Pistons. I was right about that. He is a good passer. Like you see him make some of those folk court reads out of the pick and roll, you know, finding shooters in the corner, he can pass. With Hayes, the the bet was on his scoring translating. Overseas playing in France, he would hit, you know, step back threes. He shot eighty plus percent from the free throw line. He used his big six foot five body to get to the basket. It was a bet on the scoring developing that has failed completely. His shot is still inconsistent. He has not improved his offhand. He's a left-handed player. He has not improved his right hand all too much. He's not drawing fouls. he's not getting to the rim. he's timid there's i think there's confidence issues. And with Hayes, that bet was wrong over LaMelo Ball, who had his defensive issues, the concerns there, who still hadn't quite made the leap as a shooter like he has in the NBA. With Ant, there was the concerns as well at the time. That bet was wrong. However, the lesson learned from me with Killian really in 2020 was (laughs) not being afraid to change on what you said late. Like, I all through the draft, I said Killian's the number one prospect. Number one on my board. But in the weeks leading up to that draft, Kyle, it was like with Fultz, the things I was hearing about Killian, not that he was super immature like Fultz, but it was like he's a young kid. Like he's he's coming to America. It's a lot of projection. You know, he is immature, some stuff with the work ethic and all that. Whereas with LaMelo Ball, I was hearing his teammates love him. He, like, guys rally around him, he busts his ass he's a hooper, you know, he works hard, he wants to get better at his weaknesses, he, he's, like, responsive to his coaches overseas. It was all these, like, positive things answering those questions you had about him and Lonzo for that year, you know, with, with his dad and all that at the time. And it was like, oh, my God, Lamelo's probably number one. And and you're hearing things about Edwards in the weeks leading up. There's the article in ESPN about does he actually love basketball? There was negative stuff about him, but there was also a lot of positive stuff you were hearing privately, too. I think if I could do it all again, if I could go back in time, what I really wanted to do was to go LaMelo 1, Edwards 2, Hayes 3. And Hayes 3 still would have been too high. At least I would have had him ahead of James Wiseman. Um, <laughs> But, but I, I think the lesson for me learned that year is A, I suck at scouting French prospects again. <laughs> um, B, like you can't be afraid to change your mind up to the last day. You just can't be. You've got to be willing to change your mind and take in the intel. So when I hear people say like three weeks before the draft, this is my final board, it should not be your final board. Your final board should be the intel you receive, the information you receive, whatever it might be, medical, you know, personality, something with their game that they're working on that you see improving, it should be up until the day of the draft, in my opinion. So that's my big, big lesson learned with with Killian, that forever in the future, I will not be afraid to make dramatic changes on my draft board to the day of the drafts.
2: Well, something I don't think that we've, I don't know if I've ever heard you talk about or I've never asked you about was like... Behind the scenes, you don't have to be specific in who or individuals, but I mean, how much support did you have in the conversations that you were having with people maybe in the league or people who were closer to his situation? Because whenever something goes wrong, people kind of scatter and they're like, I don't know, you know, like whenever whenever it looks like there's a bust and you've made a big swing like you did where people kind of distance themselves and they're like, I don't I don't know him. I don't know either. I mean, behind the scenes and conversation, how much sort of validation were you feeling from people who like were, like I said, close to the situation? Were you the only person doing this or were you were you defying things you were hearing? I mean, even
0: It was a big mix. I mean, there were people I talked to that are like, I got him three. I got him five. Man, I wanna rank him as high as you do, but I just can't have the confidence with the lack of information compared to this guy. Then there's people saying you're nuts, like you're like you're gonna regret this. Mm. There's both, right? Uh, the interesting thing along that, no, Kyle is is how like the public naturally. I don't care about people making fun of me for it. I don't care if it ruins like their their perception of my draft evaluation and all that. What surprises me is the people, and I've heard this prior to the 2020 draft and since, especially since I've had people who I respect highly. In the league, smart people who are great at drafting or great evaluators or great on the analytics side, different types of eye test people versus numbers people who are like every single one of us have a mistake that bad or worse. Yeah, it's just we're not always the one pulling the trigger on the decision. Sometimes we are, but every single one of us has a guy that bad. And a lot of them have brought up like how sometimes even when you get it right, you get it wrong. You know, it's like, we'll talk about this a future week when we talk about the players we got right. Like, I had Giannis ranked ninth in 2013. As far as I know, there aren't many people that had him ranked top 10. But I still had him behind Anthony Bennett and Alex Lynn and a bunch of other guys who are either rotation guys or not in the NBA anymore. I got it right, but I got it wrong. So I think there's a lot of those cases. And in the case of Killian, you know, it was a big mistake. Egg on my face, you know? And I think ultimately, though, it really is about in the draft how hard this thing really is because there's aspects you get right about him. I feel like I was correct about his defense, I was correct about his playmaking, I was wrong about the scoring. And will that ever work out? He's still just a baby in developmental terms. Probably not. He'll probably never be better than Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball. He won't be better than those guys. Those guys yeah, are still getting better, too. Yeah. But he still should be and could be better than he is today. I feel better about you know Killian in year three than I did on some of my other whiffed French prospects, Timothy Luau, Elio Okobo. <laughs> Frank Dillikina, I loved all those guys. You, were you
2: up on him too? Were you I was not a Maladon guy. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you got one. You got one. There. No. But uh, <laughs> French prospects,
0: like, do you do you also is there like scouting internationally? I remember, like, in my early days working in sports media, I talked to somebody in a, in a front office, and they're like, "I don't like drafting international." They're like, "I have a hard time." scouting international he's like i don't know how to gauge the competition it's tough, and this is a like a long time executive they're like i just don't like to dip my toes in the international water so i don't he's like there's been so many times i've liked these players and they avoid them and then they then they don't work out ever the guys that i like and the guys that i don't like tend to work out so i just don't do it and i'm like yeah yeah, that makes sense do do you have is there like a, a blind spot for you that you've observed in your history when it comes to international or, or a player type or anything like that, Kyle?
2: Oh, that's tough. I don't know. I was going to say, I don't know if I have like a, I mean, I, I love Serbian basketball culture. I am kind of a sucker for the way they develop players. Um, wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, a blind spot that's interesting you you the thing that you said about um getting it right but still getting it wrong i think like i've had a hard time i I talked about this on uh, our buddy ben uh, taylor show that like i had a, a tendency to like like guards but also like vastly underestimate them like i did that with darius garland um i even um I don't know that that was a big one for me. I think i I had him in the range of being like a sec like a an extra score, an extra ball handler. I never saw him being like the focal point of an offense. i kind of I underestimated John Morant. I didn't know that he could be the focal point of an offense um yeah, I don't know I don't know what like a specific off the top of my head blind spot. Yeah. I'm most guilty of, I'm probably most guilty of what you were talking about there. of Just like liking someone, but then not going far enough with it. You know, that's, that's typically what ends up happening to me.
0: That
1: makes sense there. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com/simmons. Once again, v u o r i.com/simmons.
0: You know, when it comes to some of these decisions we make, do you also find value? Like to me, it's not always about being right or wrong. I know I'm going to be right on guys. I know I'm going to be wrong on guys every single year. I know in 2023, there's going to be guys I whiff on. There's going to be guys I look smart on. It's just, it's just the case every year. But I find the great value in doing draft coverage is like having a, a, like as they enter the league, is having a, a deeper background on who these guys are, how they are going to change the the complexion of the league. You know who's coming in, what's the new wave of players, the types of players. How will that affect free agency? How will that affect what teams uh, make these types of decisions? It's like more than just which players you're going to be right on and wrong about it and ranking them. It's it's about like as a as a whole how they are going to change the league. Like I feel like in 2016, you know, the warriors are a small ball and Draymond Green and all that. And you know, I had this article on the ringer at the time where it's like, hey, maybe maybe bigs are back on the rise. You know, there's Cat, you know, there's 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 Nikola Jokic, there's these guys coming in the draft. There's this and that. You can kind of sense where the league might be going and who could have seen Jokic turn into this or, or Giannis to continue getting better and all that. I'm not saying like nobody could have predicted that, but I feel like you can kind of sense by doing the draft where things could be going and what mm-hmm. direction. Like, do you find value in that beyond like, you know, stacking these guys up and, you know, being right and wrong and all that?
2: trying to you mean I, I wanted to say too about what i just said my my like talking uh, acknowledging or thinking about my blind spots with the draft i definitely don't want to make it sound like i don't think i've missed on people because i have yeah you know, that's a that would be like a really lame answer to be like i'm right all the time i'm just not right enough no i've whiffed on <laughs> plenty of people <laughs> i wanted to clarify on that i was like that sounded like uh, that sounded terrible um no um yeah, I I think the thing you're describing is the thing that I'm most interested in with the league is trying to sense those shifts. Um, and and like I definitely fell victim to the, and I don't think I'm the only one. I mean, I I definitely fell victim to the Helio model and trying to find those guys. Um, like one of the things that I think I've kind of keyed in on lately more is uh looking for. Guys who are more conducive to ball movement, guys that are more conducive to movement shooting, they can get on and off the ball. They don't have to stick necessarily. Um, And I I think something—I guess a good—this is a good chance to kind of segue to the next. My my first miss that I wanted to talk about. There was—I think 2021 is an interesting one um, that I had two of them flip flopped, and they're both on the the Orlando Magic. I was very high on Jalen Suggs on what he could bring to a team. And I still think Suggs is going to be a solid player. But I had him and Franz kind of mischaracterized in the way that I, like, evaluated them. I thought that Suggs was going to come in and be, like, a steady on-ball player, going to be, like, uh, instant rim pressure in the league. I liked his jumper enough. I was like, that's going to work. I think, like, he's going to be a solid two-way player. I really underestimated Franz and kind of pigeonholed him in terms of, like, uh, his on-ball creation ability, I just didn't, I didn't vet it thoroughly enough. Like I didn't go back and watch his stuff uh, when he was over in Europe, um, and then he he came in and it was like literally reversed. It was like, oh, Franz is going to be the dependable
0: on-ball guy as opposed to Jalen. Yeah, Franz is a good one. Um, I think the Warriors would also like to redo that one as well. <laughs> we've ham- we've we've poked a lot of fun at them
2: over that one. <laughs> I think everybody has though. I mean, it would just it would have made so much more sense, and yeah, it would have. Would have helped him out a lot for sure.
0: With Suggs, I mean, he's he's kind of a case of one of those types of players where, you know, you watch him at Gonzaga, you see all the good qualities with the defense and the reliability and the leadership and all that. With him, the question at the time, you know, was, you know, what's his jumper gonna be? And how much were you projecting ahead on that? Like you think about, you know, some of those other guys that have come in the league recently, true for across positions, like whether it's the Justice Winslows of the world and the Stanley Johnsons or these guards. And Josh Jackson sh- kind of in Josh that category Josh Jackson, too. yeah, those types of guys. When it comes to projecting jumpers, um, I feel like a lot of misses come as a result of assuming a guy will get better as a shooter. Do you find yourself at all like with a Suggs, a guy like that, kind of now leaning towards the guys that have at least, at least proven that they can shoot rather than the guys where you need to make it a projection?
2: I think other things have to be present. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, um, you know, like an Anthony Black is an interesting kind of comparison. If you think about a guy who's a high-motored defensive player who's switchable, you know, we're not sure about his jump shot, but um, he brings other intangibles to the floor. Like, we think he can be a connector. We think that he can be, you know, he adds playmaking and things like that. It's like if you're going to be and I, I wrote this down as one of the big things that that I'm kind of looking at more um, with these players is, you know, if you're going to be if you're going to have it like a question in your game, like it, you'd better have a foundation that's solid. Like so these guys that are. I don't know. I I was thinking about like these on ball guys. Like I missed on like Lonnie Walker is another one. I liked Lonnie Walker's like upside as a scorer. I was like, I think he could be a physical driver in the league, but then you start thinking about like, okay, well if he's an inefficient shooter and he's defensively not dependable, um, that's a player that can't stay on the floor. Whereas the flip side of it is if somebody is a consistent defender, they give you some playmaking and then maybe we hope the shot comes around. Um, those are guys that I'd be more willing to bet on. So, yeah, I, I was just kind of looking back at and looking at this year's draft class. If you look at these guys who are like, all right, I'm going to trade on my ability to score the ball. And you think about like a jet, there's a there's a few of them, man. There's Jed Howard. Jalen Hood. Shafino is another one. Nick Smith, my guy, Nick Smith, um, who gives me Jordan Poole vibes Sometimes that's not good. G.G. Jackson, <laughs> Jalen Wilson, <laughs> Marcus Sasser. These are guys that like, okay, if they come in and they like depend on having the ball or like they're trading. I, I think back about like James Booknight is another guy like that. Yeah, I'm like, it's a good tra- one. Yeah. If you trade on, I'm a scorer, I'm this, you and you don't have that like conduit for ball movement thing like I was talking about, it's harder to keep you on the floor. You know, those, those are the guys that I think I'm getting more and more leery of like that I'm staying away for. Wh- whereas the opposite is if you have a foundation of defense. Like an Anthony Black, like a Jaime Jaquez, like a Kobe Brown, those are guys that I think can apply to like winning situations more often. I'm 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 more skeptical of guys who are like this guy could become a primary on ball guy. I'm I'm just not wanting to ex- like dabble in that as much. I'm not as inclined to do it.
0: As you were talking, for some reason, Tyrese Halliburton came to my mind. Different than the type of players you're talking about. He shot you know forty plus percent both years at Iowa State in college but he had a funky looking jumper and with him it was like yeah i'm not sure it's going to translate related to what you're saying about the anthony blacks of the world and those types of players how does that relate to the guys that may shoot a good percentage from 3 but they look like the type of guys you have questions about their shot translating like how, how do they tie into that kind of broader conversation for you
2: what are you saying like guys that's that had like like a Halliburton
0: shot. yeah like you're saying yeah. with Black he has the connective glue you know qualities as a passer he has defense Halliburton had that as well you know he's a guy that I feel like I was way too low on I at one point had him in my top five I had him like fourth or fifth and I ended up shifting him down to 11th that's interesting I talked, interesting. My, I talked you myself do that? out of him just the I, I had questions about how much is this guy going to be able to create his own shot off the dribble and I was dead wrong yeah. I just talked myself out of it. I bumped him down a little bit. Eleven's not bad. He ended up going what, 10th? Something like that. Um, but, you know, I talked myself out of it. Uh for so those that, that last note you hit about, you know, when it comes to projecting a guy to become a primary, you're kind of out on that, you said.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm out on these guys who are just like, that's what they do. And they're not, they don't have a high, like the, the ball doesn't move through them very well, but you're like, I'm a scorer. But it's like, if you look at the efficiencies, it's like, that's another big reason that I missed on Marvin Bagley is that like Bagley, um, I looked at his rim activity. I looked at his rebounding. I looked at, I, I I thought that he would you know, extend and Bagley's okay. It's not like it's the end of the world for him, but it's like, You know the guys that I had him rated ahead of, like the ball didn't move through him. He wasn't a great defender, Um, but well, let's get to the the shooting thing that you're talking about. I guess the shooting is just harder to to gauge because it's a case by case thing. You have to like look at what's more likely to be fixable. When did they start playing? Is another thing. Some guys like you know they can correct their mistakes if they haven't been doing them as long. Um, Yeah, Halliburton was was funny just because. It did look weird, but he shot it efficiently, like literally at every level. He was like nearly a 40% three-point shooter at every level. I think you just kind of have to look at touch and say like, okay, well, if we if we change his mechanics, the touch is still there. So I trust it. Lamello is kind of like that too. You were like, you make some tweaks. I do trust his touch. Um, you know, another guy that's interesting on this front is uh, Dyson Daniels, who I still have a lot of confidence in. That you know, defensively pretty rock solid. I think he's gonna be at least good passer, great size, and you are like those things can keep him on the floor. Um, whereas the flip side of that would be like a Zaire Williams, who like the shot, the shot is inconsistent. That's another guy that I missed on. Um, I don't know. But does that answer the question, or what? What's where are you no, feeling uh, on that?
0: I, I think that's. I think those are good answers. Um, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, with given how important shooting is in the NBA today. You know, you don't, you don't need to be a quality shooter, but if you can't shoot, it does, you know, cause some issues with how a team is going to be able to build with you on an end game lineup in the fourth quarter. Like, you've got to at least be a spot up threat. Josh Akogi,
2: like, is a good example of somebody right now who's, it's hurting the Suns. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it it is. I mean, like, you see Denver, they, they just help off those, you know, iffy shooters. And they say, okay, all right, we're going to live with you doing that. We saw that and Knicks heat as well. Obi Toppin attempted 11 three-pointers in game 1 and granted he made 4 of them. The the <laughs> heat were very okay with that rather than a Jalen Brunson drive to the basket. Um like Josh Hart, like as as great as he has shot the ball since being acquired by the Knicks, he was very bad shooting with the Blazers earlier this season. They're betting on him regressing back to that uh, at least in game 1. Um like that's the thing, like even like I think that's what makes Denver so tough to defend, you know. Bruce Brown has become a solid spot up shooter on on a low volume. These guys, who at least even if they're taking two shots a game from three, at PJ Tucker, that you can rely on him to hit it at least in an average rate from the corner. Uh, like, it, like I think it's important for an Anthony Black to at least get to that level.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bruce Brown is an interesting one. I was going back and looking at like we always act like he's just some like came out of nowhere example. But I mean, he was ranked 26th in his high school class. Yeah. Um, Highly recruited. Yeah. Yeah. And some somebody that came into the league and. I've, I've just kind of been looking for these players who are comfortable performing and like kind of limited uh, like limited parameters but they their effort doesn't change based on that you know the guys that are insistent and this is kind of what i was talking about like the guys who want to trade on the fact that they could they aspire to be primaries but they're just probably not going to get there like not not efficient enough to do it full time on an nba team or at least be you know the focal point um yeah, Bruce Brown, another guy that like I wanted to talk to you like that I underrated a guy that I was I, li- I I I won't say that I like I was saying he was one of my guys, but uh Christian Brown is somebody I think in the playoffs that's really interesting if you watch you know I, I think when he was coming in, people thought of him as like a spot-up shooter. They were like, okay, he'll give you a little bit of extra like secondary playmaking, a little secondary pick and roll stuff. He's really not doing much of that. A lot of that is like depending on the team that he's with, you know like his the touches are all kind of accounted for. It's similar to like the Keegan Murray thing with the Kings. I've been trying to just look for guys who give you that like two-way energy, can give you some some spot up shooting, they give you some cutting, they give you some screening. The Nuggets specifically have kind of been like an epicenter for a shift that's happened in basketball. You were talking about looking ahead at like the landscape of the league and how it's changing. Like the screening inversion revolution in the league, I think, has really affected the way that I look at guards right now. Has that entered your mind? Yes,
0: absolutely. No doubt about it. I mean, you see this across the league with with inverted screens, with the amount of big ball handlers or primary offensive hubs. There are Jokic being the primary one, the best example With a guy like Christian Brown, you're right. You know, I had him ranked 43rd on my board last year. Way too low. What were your concerns? Do you remember? Um, I got his scouting report up right now, and it's the type of stuff that you're talking about where it does not matter on Denver. It just doesn't matter. It's like off-the-dribble shooting against, you know, superior competition, creating off-the-dribble against, you know, high-level defenders. You know, that doesn't get to the basket a ton. You know, doesn't draw a ton of fouls. We'll need to improve his floater stuff like that.
2: You're evaluating him as a second, a pure secondary score yes, creator,
0: exactly. And whereas the strengths, it's like spot on. Strong off ball defender. Brown can be a nuisance. He's energetic on the ball. You know,
2: <laughs> the so she You did the work. You just didn't realize yeah, you had done it. Just, <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's
0: reliable yeah. as a passer, right? You know, he's an active offensive rebounder. It's like check, 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 check for a guy who fits as a, as a role player alongside a primary. But I was evaluating him purely through the lens of hey, is he good enough to be a primary or like a secondary? Nah, I don't know. I'm, I'm iffy on him. Let's bump him down rather yeah. than okay well here's how i can imagine him in a situation setting inverted screens playing off you know the dominant you know presence of jokic right like it's it's that's the tough part though as well because we're talking about christian brown right now as one of the few rookies who is playing right now in the playoffs because he's drafted by denver but if he goes to another team you might all of those flaws might be apparent where you're like, yeah, he's solid. We'll see what he pans out into in the future.
2: Yeah, there there are a number of teams that I think he could work. I guess you just have to go into it with the mindset knowing like, okay, these skills fit with this. And a lot of times those those teams are going to be at the end of the first round because they're good. Think about like Milwaukee. He he would fit right in with Milwaukee. He would fit right in with LeBron, Luka. There's a lot of different players. I was looking at like. His screens. We were talking about the. He, his guard to guard screening is. He screens for Jamal Murray a ton. He screens for oh, Bruce yeah. Brown a ton. Have you paid attention to his defense in the playoffs? Like wh- who who they've been putting him on at all?
0: I mean, he can be relied on against the best of the best. Can he, Kyle?
2: It's wild.
0: That's what I was gonna say. It's crazy,
2: man. I don't uh, like. He's he's guarded KD. He's guarded Anthony Edwards. He's guarded Devin Booker at like decent samples. I mean, like watching him guard KD. He's absolutely fearless, man. Like, he's he's up in his house, like, trying to push KD around, making KD take tough shots. KD is the ultimate tough shot maker. I've just been really impressed by how he he has, like, a specific... I always think of, like, teams like, like a battleship, you know? Some teams are, like, the captain or the general, and they run the show, and then some guy's job is to, like, uh, clean the toilets or your job is to make sure that the, everybody has sandwiches. Like I just feel like Brown is one of those guys that like you give him like a little bitty job and he's going to destroy it. He's, he's sort of the, um, the, I don't, I don't have another example, but I mean, he's, I've just been really impressed with his aggressiveness and how the value he's brought to them without being depended on in the way that like, say you evaluated him as like, okay, well, he's not. He's not a primary or a secondary creator and he's not doing the things that we expect typically from wings, but he's bringing a lot of value to them in these other small ways.
0: When it comes to drafting, um, like I'm just looking at scrolling up my rankings as, as we're talking about Brown. Some of the guys I had him behind. Trevor Keels from Duke. Justin Lewis from Marquette. Kendall Brown from Baylor. Peyton Watts from UCLA who had some good moments this year, his rookie year as well, but it's a lot of Raw, you know, swings. John Butler from Florida State, you know, these raw talents that you're like, yeah, they might pan out into nothing, but I'll give it a try and see what they become. When it comes to your rankings, Kyle, uh, I feel like when I look back, a lot of my misses, whether it's guys in the 30s or guys in the top 10, like, you know, Mobamba, raw prospects, Kevin Knox, granted he gets drafted high, but I had him seventh, he gets drafted top ten as well, you know, Seku damboya, like these types of guys. I miss on the raw guys a lot, like they so very rarely hit mhm, but we're so we're so. I mean, it's it's like the mystery box. It's like, ooh, if he does pan out, ooh, maybe he becomes a star. If we get the best case version of this guy, where where are you when it comes to, you know, your risk aversion uh, for ranking players? um, If you were making the choice as a GM, how many?
2: Who are the raw guys that have it? I mean, that we're thinking about. Not a
0: lot, man. Like go back year by year. It's like it's not a lot. Like the Zaire Smiths of the world, Justin Patton. Z- I did Bolden. not get that one.
2: Zaire Smith, man, I didn't understand that one at all.
0: As a theoretical, you know, it's you can talk yourself into these guys, but a lot of them don't hit.
2: Yeah, it depends on who you are. Honestly, it depends on the team because, like as we've talked about, there are players who are very, very environment dependent, and there's some that aren't environment dependent at all. Like they'll come in and they'll like set the culture because they because of what they do, and I just don't. Uh, with with those types of players, I I just have to, I I, I think you have to think about like what's going to keep them on the floor. Honestly, it's that thing again. Like Tari Eason is offensively incredibly raw, but like defensively, he's a monster. He's a menace. He's going to be able to stay on the floor and maybe take a secondary role. I guess you just have to look at it and think about like. Are they going to be able to, you know, Christian Coloco defensively going to hopefully keep him on the floor? I'm trying to think of another player here that's that's similar. Diabate is a guy, another big Sharks guy. Um, Diabate is a guy that was offensively needed a little bit of time, but defensively could keep him on the floor. That's usually where I lean, you know? But if, like, if it's a big springy athlete who is just going to be disruptive in the lottery, I think we talked about this last year, I've moved to the point where it's like, you usually don't even get the most out of them in the first contract. Like it seems like whoever teams that take them usually get in, in, like impatient and move them, and it's usually like the second team that gets something out of them. Like it almost yeah. is never the first
0: team. Yeah, I mean that that is you're 100 percent right. Like even even like the role player types, like a Rui Hachimura, seeing him thrive on the That's Lakers in the playoffs. Example. Like he's playing the best that he ever has. The Wizards take a shot on him in the top ten. They're like. You know what, Rui, he could miss. You know, there's a chance he ends up, you know, never panning out. Uh, he's like, what was he a junior out of Gonzaga? Uh, so I he's forget. a little bit, o- a little bit older, but he was raw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they take a big swing, hoping he pans out. And you know, he he's their he's their own Giannis. He's not that. He's not even like a reliable role player. He's inconsistent as hell as a shooter. He's sloppy as a defender. And then he goes to the Lakers, and boom, all of a sudden he's Great on defense, and, and, and granted, he still makes some errors and rotations. But when you're surrounded by, like we're talking about, Christian Brown with Jokic on offense and Jamal Murray on offense, it can cover up some of the flaws of a player. Like with Rui sharing the floor with an Anthony Davis and having these reliable, locked-in defenders, uh, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Versus, you know, change every year with the Wizards and you know a bunch of. Loser players and leaders uh, who aren't, you know, committed in playing playoff basketball. It makes a big difference there. Coaching can make a difference, you know, like with, you know, if you have the right coach who can help guide you and make you see the game a little bit differently, or, you know, like Fred Vincent with the Pelicans, improve your jump shot. That can change the course of your, in a way, like everything we're hitting on here, Kyle. What I'd like to do, maybe this year I'll do it, is like, you know, you got your final pre-draft rankings. that Those are the ones everybody holds you to. But I'd also be curious to do like a, a, a final post-draft rankings, like based off where these players are drafted, how would that change how you rank them day one after the draft? Not a redraft necessarily, but like a re-ranking.
2: Not like a grade thing though?
0: I'm not a big draft grade guy.
2: Neither am I. Good. Um, yeah. I'm glad you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous.
0: I'm not, I, I'm not a big the draft. Boo! Guy. They get an I F know. because that was so, low yeah. on my board. Yeah. It's like I okay. Don't, well, what? I, I don't. I don't like those at all. I hate them. Uh, people made fun of me because, like last year, I mean, I'm going crazy. I'm recording the Bill Simmons podcast while doing draft grades on on the draft guide last year. I'm like texting Matt Dollinger. I gave like every team an A, a or a B. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was my, my middle finger to the man. <laughs> Just <laughs> Everybody gets rebel. an A or a B. I think I gave out one C in the draft last year.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got When to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I said my biggest whiff, Killian Hayes. Um, Who is your
0: all-time biggest whiff that you've had in your draft evaluation history?
2: Oh, I mean the one that I took a hard stance on was Bagley. For a time I thought he needed to be number one. That's what I that I brought it up. But I mean, I guess I buried the lead a little there. But like, um, yeah, I, I thought for a time I would wanted him number one. That was I always tell people though, I'm like I A, I was not covering draft full time and I hadn't seen Luca yet. So that was always, you know. You are kind of going as you see the players, and maybe you see somebody, and you you pronounce them number one before you see another guy who probably should be. It it wasn't the right way to go about it in retrospect, but you know what? It was a weird situation for me. Um, there was th- there were things I was just ignorant to, and I don't think that I was seeing the league for what it was. Um, Bam Adebayo is another guy I've talked about that um, I was just seeing it totally wrong, and there, and, you know, even being close to the situation, I wasn't imagining. Um I wasn't seeing the way basketball had changed in 2017 and I wasn't seeing how Bam could fit into it. I saw Bam as like a lob catcher. I always called him a runner jumper dunker type guy. I that's what I thought he was going to be. I didn't see that he was going to be somebody that could switch at the, I did, I underrated the switchability, I underrated the passing, the screen setting out in space just maybe because of the style that they played when he was at UK. Bagley yeah, Bagley and and Bam both are guys that I missed on. Pretty thoroughly, so um, yeah.
0: I think with Bam, could anybody have seen him become this on defense? Though
2: you'd be reading him between the lines. I mean, I'd, I'd love to talk with like some somebody who was involved in scouting him and how they projected and read into the way what they saw in him. Um, because I just, you know, when those clips were coming out of him, like Garden switching on to Steph and kind of holding his own, like his like rookie year, I was just like, oh boy, yeah, like I, I really, I
0: really didn't see this. I think, you know, Zach Lowe wrote the, the, you know, the definitive feature on Bam at a bio a couple of years ago, talking about, you know, his personality. That's such a big component of it is like understanding who these players are as young men and how they could grow within your own ecosystem as a human being, as they become a man, they might, you know, have a girlfriend or have a family and how will they handle the money that they get in the NBA and all the attention, IG models sliding in their DMs and everything, all, everything that comes with the, you know, the drugs and whatever, the partying, all of it. Like at the end of the day, like you, you want to bet on the person. And, And I think with, you know, you're not just drafting, like, good kids or good people or all that. Like, it's, you know, Then you get a bunch of, you know, churchgoers in your locker room and they win three games. You're not right. betting on just good people. You're you necessarily, you're betting on character in, in an NBA ecosystem. And that Zach Lowe article, he did such an outstanding job just detailing, you know, with examples who this guy is and what the Heat, you know, saw in him character-wise. At the end of the day, like, that's, That's really what, like, I think you're betting on as a team is the person. And that's where, like, you know, teams or the people who, like, do this for their full-time career, like a Jonathan Gavoni, you know, Mike Schmitz at Express, when they're there in those gyms and they get to see those things, that is an edge that I think a lot of teams and those evaluators get versus, you know, I'm not in those gyms, right? I'm talking to people, I'm talking to executives, I'm getting intel, but when you're in there, especially as a team, and you get to sit down with a guy for three, four hours and understand who they are, why they are who they are, and who they're becoming, to me, that's like ties it back to the original Killian Hayes thing, the Markel Fultz thing. That's, I think, where the edges are, are made, is the personality aspect. Um, but that's also tough. You know, it's it's tough to know how somebody will develop in the NBA as a person. It's tough. All of it is.
2: It's all, they're all pieces of the puzzle. I think the Mark—the Markel and the Killian thing that you brought up, I think is pretty interesting that like you could look at, because I know for for Markel, from what I've had people tell me is that like it happened kind of fast for him, for his personality type that like he got a really high profile as a high school player really quickly. And then it was just kind of a whirlwind and it's like, oh, all of a sudden. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's hard to know, like, if guys are going to be ready for that, you know, it happened really fast for Joel Embiid. He went from not being able to dribble or catch a basketball to being the projected number one pick. I, that, that part of it is something that teams I'm sure have their different ways that they evaluate players personally. Um, I just, I think like in terms of like. It goes down to like an organizational fit. And I I think specifically this year that like the Mur the Mur as it like pertains to playoff teams having rookies directly involved in what they're doing. I think that like the Keegan Murray and the Christian Brown ones are both pretty interesting because, you know, I, I criticized the Kings pick because I was just like kind of what you were talking about. I was judging Keegan on like, OK, well, what's the on ball? Upside. I was like, I saw other guys with like on ball upside, but this is always the push and pull is like, is a primary always better than a secondary who does their job really well? And I think the answer is no. You know, if you if you look at like Keegan, does it matter that he's you know, maybe not like a full time primary guy, like dribbling the ball, making off the dribble, like going to the basket, passing it, you know, like doing things like that. No, but he doesn't have to do that. He hits catch and shoot threes, he serves the situation that he's in really well. Um, I just think that like, I'm, I'm a little more sensitive to that dynamic and the players that I was talking about in this year's draft that I think kind of market themselves as like, I'm a shooter. I I have the ball in my hands. I want to be an isolation creator. I'm a little more dubious of those guys as opposed to players that might dependably are going to function in a role and, uh, and give you, and give you production without those caveats that like, and sometimes if they're not able to do those things that they want to do, they may be less interested. You know, that's another thing to consider.
0: Any other players that uh, you feel like you've whiffed on that you haven't mentioned that you want to? I
2: mean, Grant Williams. That's another one. That's another one. I think we've I, talked I about had, I already. had him
0: top 10, which might be too high. Yeah, I had Grant, I think seventh or eighth. I had, uh, let me, I got it right here. In 2019, I had Brandon Clark number seven, Grant Williams number eight. And that might be too high. But then you look at the guys behind them. I had Goga Badazzi, Kobe White. Sekou Dumboya, Masir Little, Jackson Hayes, PJ Washington, fourteen, DeAndre Hunter, fifteen, Nikhil Alexander Walker, sixteen, Rui Hachimura. I feel pretty good about having him where I did, but at the same time, you know, Grants, you know, getting inconsistent minutes in the playoffs. Clark's a backup. Is that that might have been over being too risk averse in 2019?
2: Uh, I mean, if you're getting a playoff backup, I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good play. I mean, if, if you're a if you're a capable playoff player, I think that that's a pretty good. I'm trying to th- see like the different the whiffs through here. I mean, Dumb- Dumboya is is an interesting one. Um, I don't really even. I think I was kind of hearing her there on Dumboya. Uh, do you remember yeah, how you felt I mean, about
0: him? He's. Yeah, I I was just like, yeah, I mean, sure, I'll take a shot on him outside the yeah. top ten. Yeah, why not? That type of guy. I didn't. I didn't feel necessarily like full confidence that he would turn into anything. He's just worth a shot.
2: The other one I, is Kevin Knox in, the, in that 2018 draft. I think the the worries that I had, I should have been a little more alarmed to. And that's another personality one. I think he's a little similar to Killian Hayes and from what I've heard. There are people that are just kind of unsure about how like into basketball he is Um, You know, coming out of college, he was somebody that like kind of needed to have his number called. And then even then, he wasn't a super efficient player or or a sharer, um, defensively vulnerable. I think there's an aesthetic bias, too. I think sometimes when a guy is 6'9 and kind of elastic, you just think to yourself, like, oh, that's a big guy who's going to be able to create their own shot. I always talk about, like, Perry Jones is a guy uh, out of Baylor who fooled a lot of people, I think. A lot of people thought that they saw this big guy with, like, good shot mechanics and they scowl another one. Uh, and they just kind of fell for it. Those aesthetic biases, I think, are really interesting because um, they they can really distract you from uh, the other like the negatives in their game.
0: I mean, you're mentioning a handful of guys who were drafted high. You were too high on them too. I mean, Mario Hazonia, that's one of them on my <laughs> list. Yeah, but he was drafted high. I don't really count those ones as whiffs. Everybody, wh- if everybody whiffs, it's a little different. Um, Zach Levine, <laughs> granted, he went low. I was too low on him. Rudy Gobert. I was too low on. Justin Anderson, I was too high on. um, Yeah, and I'm going to be wrong again this year on a bunch of guys. And right on a bunch of guys, too, that are going to make me look smart and dumb at the same time.
2: That's the goal. <laughs> look smart and dumb at the same time, Kev. <laughs> Just as long as you keep it balanced. Don't go too far it, the it, other way.
0: Is there a player right now for the 2023 draft that you feel the most scared about? With where you're going to have them ranked, whether it's too high or too oh. low, like who are you? Like mm, this could end up looking silly.
2: Somebody that I'm high on that could end up making or me. Or the look other dumb. way
0: around, some guy that you're lower on, where you're like, man, they could make me regret this. I've
2: like, told you, Jerus Walker is is one that I've worried about, and I worry about Scoot. Uh, more on that coming scoot, soon. I yeah. mean, um, you doing I, a
0: Scoot video? Is that what's coming?
2: Trying to, yeah, working on it, working on okay, it. Um, cool, crushing a lot of tape right now. Uh, yeah, do you have one?
0: Well, I'm excited for that Scoot video, Kyle. I'm I look forward to watching that before the draft. As for me, uh, to answer your question, I think it's some of these small guard types. Uh, you know the Keontae Georges, the Nick Smith types. I'm I'm iffy on them. Like even a Jed Howard at wing. Some of these, like you had mentioned them in passing earlier, uh, a Bryce Sensabaugh. Those guys, I'm a little unsure where to put them in my rankings, or even the G League guys, Leonard Miller, Sissoko. I'm having a tough time placing them.
2: Those two yeah, are tough. Yeah, I feel like yeah. there's a, like a Miller swell that's going on. I think we need to, uh, yeah, that one. That one is one that like my initial reaction to him was so strong that I've been coming back from it. You know, like it's been a process of me being convinced. To come back to the other side, because when I initially saw him, I was just like, "No way!" I was just like, "No, no way!" Yeah. But it's like it feels like there's been a lot of momentum for him. Like he's played better.
0: Could be a lot of people talking themselves into it though, as well. It's tough. It's hard, man. Guys can get better. Guys can get better throughout after the season's over. He's working hard on his jump shot. I know that working at P3 out in Santa Barbara. Uh, that's been a big focus for him is his jumper consistency. Um, so through pre-draft workouts. Like we said, Kyle, at the top, the draft evaluation process, it's May 2nd as we record right now, May 3rd when you're going to be hearing this. Still a long way to go before the draft. Uh, A lot can change. Um, I look forward to the weeks to come, Kyle. I look forward to your Scoot video and everything else you're working on and hopefully see you out here in L.A. sometime in the coming weeks for draft lottery coming up. Next week, we might do our biggest hits next week, um, but maybe we'll save that for closer to the draft. Uh mm-hmm. We'll see what we do, but we I look forward to talking about uh, that as well' and scratching our own backs <laughs>
2: <laughs> definitely it's always fun to scratch your own back and feel good um, yeah, better to have
0: a- somebody else scratch your back though
2: well, it always as long feels as- better that's true. <laughs> As long as you're, I mean, as long as you're like reflective about it and trying to learn, you know, honestly, it's it just seizing, seizing moments to like build on your own ignorance instead of like digging in and like defending and things like that. It's like, okay, I screwed that up. It's an opportunity to get better. I mean, that's, yeah. as long as you're cognizant of it, it's 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 it can be, it can flip into a positive, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Uh, every, every year, it's always about getting better. Uh, true in, in life and in draft evaluation. Kyle, hope you have a good rest of your day, man. You too, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. We'll get a good rest of your day.